God wants us to, to just restore our intimacy with him if we've lost it. And in, if we haven't, then we just want to grow in that. And so we're going to focus upon the stories of Christmas and the revelation of the intimacy with God. And the Lord, uh, all this week, I've been just praying about what to share, in, you know, in this my first time sharing uh, in this series. And so most of you know I spent almost every day in the woods this past week. And so what I did when I was in the woods, that the Lord would download some things, I, and I could get to the top of a mountain and have some reception, and I'd send myself emails. So I had, uh, my whole email box was, Todd sent me an email, Todd sent me, 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 me. And uh, so then I just took all those emails that I sent myself all week, and then put the puzzle together yesterday, okay? So this is the puzzle. But uh, the Lord gave me four things that I believe are very pertinent to us leading us into a place uh, of, of the revelation of the intimacy that we can have with God. And there are four things that God is. Say God is. And the first one is real simple. And a lot of you are going like, this is really simple. But sometimes we need simple. Because, you know, uh, I, I probably am simple. Anyway, but the, 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 the word is that God is real. God is real. And I feel like this is where you have to begin. Say that with me. God is real. And, and that is the foundation of where we got to start. And I, a lot of you, I know you're already way past this, but just think about the growing number of atheists that are in the culture that we live in today. And the word atheist simply means this, a person who disbelieves or lacks belief that there's the existence of a God, that God even exists. And the reality is that those of us who truly believe the Bible, that we believe the Bible is the the word of God, and it establishes truth in, in this reality that we live in, that the book, the Bible, begins as Moses, you know, wrote the Pentateuch. He wrote the first five books. And the very first words that God gave him to write in, for the book of Genesis is, in the beginning, God. Now, there's a lot of stuff that follows that in chapter 1 of Genesis, but that's where you have to begin, in the beginning, when time began, when the, the existence of all creation, that in the beginning there was God. When there was nothing else, there was God. When there was not a, a planet Earth, there was a God. When all that we know in existence in our galaxy, none of that existed before God. God existed first. And so the word there, the word God is a Hebrew word, which surprisingly, in my mind, I would think, that the first time that God is mentioned in the Bible, it would be Yahweh, but it's not. It's Elohim. And that word Elohim, it means the supreme one, the almighty, but it also even has a weird connotation that has a plurality to it, which references the Godhead or the Godhood. And, and you know, a lot of times we try to put in our puny mind the understanding of the Trinity. The word Trinity is not in the Bible, but the word Godhead is. And that there's three parts of the Godhead and somehow those three are one. But in the reality is that God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, the Godhead existed from the very beginning. And then what did God do? What was the action that God did? He created. He is a creator. And I want you to understand that God created things way before he even created us because even the earth and all the things that we see that were created six 
on the first five days and we were created on the sixth, that there is, God created all things because he's a master creator. And, and what he creates, when he gets done with it, he's not just bragging, but every time he created something, he said, it's good, it's good. And so in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And so the reality is coming to a place that we believe that God is real. And one of the things that we see in the book of Romans chapter 1, that it says that we are without excuse for this one reason, that even if you've never heard the, the message of the gospel in the essence of the Bible, that there is put in an eight sense in all humanity that there is a God by just looking at the creation and the world around us. And so when we come to God, and, and the, the writer of the book of Hebrews chapter 11 says that if we come to God now without faith, it's impossible to please God. Since the one who draws near to him must believe he exists. And then the second part is that he is a rewarder of those that seek him. See, if we're going to have intimacy with God and all the family members that you know and the people who are away from God that don't believe in God, that doesn't have a relationship with God, this is where they have to begin. And when you came to the Lord, this is where you had to begin. You had to believe that God actually existed. Because if you come to God, you got to believe that he exists. And so we live in a culture, in a world, that is, it is very demonic in the sense that Satan has been working in our culture for generation after generation to try to convince the human mind and, and convince the culture that God doesn't exist. The whole reason that the idea of evolution was established wasn't just that it, it's wrong or that, you know, it's bad teaching. It is satanic at its core. Why? Because it is to try to intellectually produce generation after generation becomes more entrenched that there is no God and that God didn't exist and everything that you see around you was not made by a creator, but it was made by disorder and chaos. And there was a big explosion. And out of that big explosion, uh, there came order and preciseness and exactness. That a lot of you know uh, that even if you look at the creation of the world, that if the earth is one degree off axis, we would freeze and one degree the other way, we would burn up. That there is a preciseness. And isn't it not even logical in our minds to think that perfect order came from disorder? I don't know if you've ever blown up things. You know, I'm a redneck, so I like to blow up stuff. Whenever you blow up stuff, there ain't no, nothing orderly that comes out of a blow up. Everything is disorder. So what you have to understand is that we are, you know, we are so far from where we began as a nation because simple things that we make very small, like that our schools have indoctrinated children from the time they go to kindergarten till they graduate college, and they have been, been indoctrinated that there is no God. Do not think it's weird or unusual that the young people, and the youth of our generation are not serving the Lord anymore. They've been indoctrinated for years, and we have not done anything about it. We've been silent. And there's got to, I'm not talking about being mean. I'm not talking about acting crazy, you know. But I'm talking about being bold for the Lord 
and, and, and combating the lies that are infiltrated in our culture of the existence of God. Now, in this, I was thinking, how do I tie this in with uh, the Christmas message? And the Lord brought me to the wise men. And, and let me just kind of show you some of this. It says, now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of King Herod, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, where is he who is born? And look why they asked something very specific. Where is he who is born the king of the Jews? For we have saw his star in the east and we've come to worship him. Now, when I was growing up, I did not understand the connection of this. I, uh, I even realized that some people use astrology and other things to try to say, well, even the wise men did that. But what you must understand is that the wise men were actually a part of an order of the Magi in the East. And, and if you trace this back and you discover this, and I love this uh, book that was written by a lady named Amy Hall in, in 2017 that talks about this, where the prophet Daniel, he was at one time the chief of the Magi or the chief of the wise men. He was made that in Babylon. And then the Babylonian king, you know, went crazy, gave his, he believed in the God of the Jewish, the Jewish God, if you would, Yahweh. And then uh, all of a sudden, then the Medio Persians come in and attack, and now all the wise men that were part of the Babylonian system are now part of the Persian Empire. King Cyrus, you remember, sending the Jewish people back and such. But uh, what you have to understand is that the that Daniel, after that, was carried great influence, and he was an instrument of God in, in the midst of the empires of the world. And if you read the book of Daniel, it's crazy, the revelation that he had and understanding. He's one, it's one of my favorite books, and it can be one of the most difficult books to read. But with the mouth of Jesus, when he was on the earth, he said, go back and read Daniel. How many know? He didn't say that about any other book of the Bible, though. He you know, referenced many of the Old Testament. But he said, go back and read that book. And what is so amazing is when you, when you read this and you study this out, that these magi are not Jewish. They're Persian. They're Persian wise men. And they are coming back to Jerusalem to find the king of the Jews that was prophesied by Daniel because they read Daniel's writing, they were, they were uh, if you would, they, they were trained in the teachings of the book of Daniel. And a lot of people, when they've studied this out, believe they probably referenced and knew a lot of the other books that Daniel said, hey, you need to read this book too, and you need the other books. And so if you look in history, you find that there's these group of magi who were, that, you know, in their day, they thought, well, that's a cult over there. Not all things that the world says is a cult is a cult, right? Because they, sometimes they say if you pray in tongues, you're a cult. But anyway, but, they, but what did they do? They were, they were holding to the teachings of Daniel. And one of the books that they often referenced in that group was the book of Numbers. In the book of Numbers, it says there's going to be a star over Jacob, and it's going to point to the Messiah. And all the book of Daniel says that there is a son of man. The son of man is coming. He's going to be the king of Israel. He's going to be the king of the Jews. And he is going to be deserving of worship because he's going to be God. They're studying this for years and waiting and waiting. And all of a sudden there is a prophetic sense. And there's a star that brings the revelation because 
His glory is seen there. And all of a sudden, they, they realize and know that time that was prophesied by Daniel has come. And they follow the star and they come to Jerusalem and they are unaware that there's other people who may not be so excited about this. And they say, where is he born the king of the Jews? And Herod, we know, says, hey, you tell me where he at so I can come and worship too. How many know he wanted to kill him because he felt threatened by his position and his power. And so what is so amazing is I've studied this out is even later in 1292 when Marco Polo, Marco Polo, anyway, I just had to do it. But when Marco Polo, he wrote a book, of, but he was traveling through Persia, and it says in the book that he came to the graves of the Magi who had returned home. And right today, though they have done away with them because Islam now controls all of Persia, that there is the grave of the Magi that was a testimony of the ones who went and seen Jesus. And I want you to understand that I don't think it's by coincidence that the greatest and the fastest growing part of Christianity is the underground church in Iran, in Persia, is Iran. And the, why? People are having dreams about meeting Messiah, meeting Jesus in their dreams. And there's hundreds and thousands of people coming to know Jesus. Why? Because the revelation of Daniel was established in that area, in the teachings of Daniel. And I can guarantee you, I was reading a book just uh, yesterday where it talked about that when Christianity began to ex expand, they went into Persia, and there was all these followers of Daniel, and they said, we're here to tell you that book, Daniel, that you read, the, 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 the result of that, or the, the advent, you know, the word advent means the coming. The coming of the Messiah was Jesus Christ, and many people gave their lives to the Lord. So, first thing is, I believe God is real. Say that with me. I believe God is real. The second thing, this is real practical and simple hillbilly here. God is big. Say that with me. God is big. I mean, you know, that's an understatement. We use theological words like infinite, that God is infinite. The infinite nature of God simply means that God exists outside of time and space. He is without limits. We use theological words like omnipresent, means he's uh, all-knowing. Uh, omnipresent, I mean, he's everywhere. Or om omniscience, means he knows everything. Or omnipotent, means that he's all-powerful. He is, he is big, right? I, I, I think we have a mindset sometimes is, you know, that you know, God is six foot tall and the devil's five foot tall. I don't even remember. I remember in children's church when I was a kid, we would sing this song about the great big God. And we would then we'd squeak our voice and a little bitty devil. You know, but that, the, the, there is no comparison because what is Satan and what are all the fallen angels and demons, they, they are created things. They are created by the omniscient all-knowing, omnipotent, all-powerful, omnipresent is everywhere, God. We live in an, in, a, in an infinite universe. When uh, my brother was, last week when I was uh, with him at his church last Sunday before we left on our trip, he was doing a, a sermon talk, talking about the creation project. 
and it was a project to bring the revelation of creation and how God's seen in that. And in that, he was giving all these statistics, and I was going to get them all, but I wasn't going to bore you with how many millions and billions of miles there is between everything and how that the sun is of this solar system, only a medium star, and there's millions and actually billions and billions of solar systems. And how many know God is big? God's bigger than that. He's outside of time and space. You know, he's thinking about how does that tie in with the revelation of the Christmas story and I, I, I was thinking and pondering upon the shepherds when they were out in the, in the fields by night and they, they were looking up at the heavens and all of a sudden there was a multitude of heavenly hosts of angels. Now I want you to understand if you look at the throne room and you read the book of Revelation, there's a lot more than just angels, what we think of angels. God has created many different beings, if you would, that surround the throne room room of God and we've got kind of locked into this word angel and there's so many other things that are within that category that God has created but though it says there was heavenly host how many know that you would be if you were uh, in that field looking up you're going like whoa it says that they were like afraid I mean they, this would be way bigger than like the state uh, you know spaceship coming down or anything this is the whole sky being filled up with heavenly hosts and they encountered the glory of God it says we make it like a Christmas story like ah. no like the glory of God showed up in, over this field and the, the enormity of God how big he is and then all of a sudden they begin to pra praising God saying glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth goodwill to men so we serve a great big God. Say that with me. We serve a great big God. Number three is this, is that yes, it's great and wonderful that we believe in the existence of God. It's great for us to have the comprehension of how big he is, what really is beyond comprehension. But the problem with that, if we stop there, we, we will look at our lives and ourselves as small and insignificant. When you think about the size of the planet that we live on compared to the universe, and you think about the enormity of God, it can overwhelm you to the point to think like, why would he even care about one of these created creatures, me, here on this planet? But the reality is that God made himself knowable. God is knowable. You can know God. Say that with me. God is knowable. I know that word knowable sounds kind of weird, but it, it just, you can know him. You know, I was thinking I recently, actually it was funny because the, the, uh, the patient that I had was somebody here from Fairmont. And he said, well, I'm not an atheist, I'm an agnostic. And, and, the, and the difference is simply this, is that an agnostic can believe that there's a God or there's a supreme being or something big, but they don't believe he's knowable. That's the key difference between an atheist and an agnostic is that, yeah, there could be a God, but, you know, you can't know him. And the reality is that everything about God in creating us is he made himself knowable, that we can know God. You know, I remember that it, it, it was Philip that is quoted in the book of John, chapter 14, where he's saying to, to Jesus, because Jesus says, 
you know, I'll show you God. I'll show you the Father. And, and Philip's going like, hey, show me the Father. You, you said you could show him to him. And Jesus is going like, don't you understand? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Because the revelation of God is given to us through the person of Yeshua in the person of Jesus. It was A.W. Tozer that wrote this. It said, we can seek God and find him. That's what's really cool about God. We can seek him and we find him. God is knowable. I figured if A.W. Tozer can say the word knowable, I can too. So, because Tozer was a pretty incredible guy. God is knowable. He's touchable. He's hearable. He's seeable with the mind, the hands, the ears, the eyes of the inner man. That we can know God, touch you. And I can't, like a lot of, how do you know God's real? I don't know how to explain it to you. I know it. Because I have experienced it. I have touched it. I have felt it. I have, there, I have been overwhelmed by his presence. And that's what happened to the shepherds. They, were, they encountered God. And then they, what did that do? It pointed them to a manger that was in Bethlehem where there was a little baby, which was the, the connection between God and man, the bridge between God and man, Jesus Christ. And I was thinking like, okay, God, You've told me how to tie in those other, you know, to a Christmas story. How do I tie this, you know, into a Christmas story? And this is what the Lord gave me, and I love this. Luke chapter 2, verse 30. It's Simeon. All his life he's been praying. All of his life the Lord said to him, you're not going to die till you see, till you see the Messiah, till you see the Son of God, the Son of Man. You're not going to. And, and, and can you imagine being in that moment? That Mary and Joseph are probably going like, what is, you know, this crazy dude, you know? And he picks up Jesus. Simeon got to touch him. He got to hold him. The, the, the son of man, the son of God. And he says, mine eyes have seen the salvation. He was holding it. He, and, and, and that fulfillment came. And God became knowable. And so what is so incredible and so important is this. Is Jesus makes God knowable. If it wasn't for Jesus, you could not know God. But Jesus makes God knowable. You could know him through Jesus Christ. Because now the Holy Spirit has come to bear witness to us of Jesus. The Holy Spirit, he makes alive my spirit. Man, now the Holy Spirit's in me. God in me. And what does God in me do? He reveals Jesus. What does Jesus do? He reveals the Father. I love what um, Alistair Begg says. said, God made himself known ultimately, finally, and savingly in the incarnation of his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's how we are able to know him. And then in number four, the last one, is God is intimate. You know, when I was thinking about this, what I would want to say is that, you know, God wants us to be intimate with him. But I, I thought about it and I prayed about it more. And I, I realized that if we don't believe God is intimate, we're not going to try to be intimate with him. God in his nature is to be intimate with us. And, and so I thought, when I prayed about it and I looked at what the Lord had downloaded in my spirit it, it, that there is a journey moving from believing there is a God to believing that he is an infinite God 
and then believing that he's a knowable God through Jesus Christ, but now it's to lead me to the ultimate destination of living in intimacy with God every single day. That's been made available to me. And this was God, I'm saying this kind of, you know, but this was God's sneaky plan the whole time. It was to lead us to this place. Yes, when somebody you don't know even believes there's a God, that's where they've got to begin. But the ultimate journey is to lead us to a place that we have daily fellowship with, with God in our lives. A deep, heartfelt relationship birthed out of a lifestyle of intimacy with God. And the Lord gave me this perfect picture of seeing this in the Christmas story without trying to make her a God or even some kind of sainthood that is in a misnomered way is that Mary actually carried the baby, carried Jesus in her womb. And there was something that was very important that, I, that was highlighted to me is that the angel, when it came to Joseph, said, don't, you know, don't be fearful to take her as your wife because what is in her, the seed that's in her, the baby that's in her, is from the Holy Spirit. The incarnation of God. Do you, I mean, I, I don't think we can comprehend it fully, but just slightly comprehend that, that God took the nature of God, the, if you would even allow me to use the word, the DNA of God, and, and through the seed of the Holy Spirit, put God in the womb of a woman so that together man and God could come. And that what was in the womb of Mary was bringing God and man together for eternal, eternity, forever and ever. Overshadow, the word overshadow means that almost to wrap around. And that Mary carried for nine months, we'll say nine months, you know, could have been eight and a half, I don't know, but, you know, we probably, Jesus wanted to preach me, no way, no, so I'm just, but nine months in the womb, and I'm not trying in any way, but she, she breastfed the baby, she raised the baby, she, it was her son, there was a place of intimacy with, that, that was there, that even when he was dying on the cross, she was there watching her son die. But there was something probably in her that she knew that there was a bigger thing going on her here than me. But even there was so much intimacy there that even with the very last breath, breath that Jesus is dying on the cross, he looks over to John, one of the disciples, and said, Behold your mother. What he was saying in, in the tradition of, of, of the Jewish people, I want you to take care of her and treat her like she is your own mom. And how many know John who loved Jesus? I'm sure he was, I got it. We don't have the recording of that, but I can guarantee you that for the rest of her life that John made sure she was taken care of. That picture of intimacy. And then what God is wanting to do in our lives as we approach Christmas, and I love the traditions, I love all the things that we're going to do, and, 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 and those things are not wrong or evil, but the whole simple fact is the whole reason that he came is to build relationship and intimacy with us. And what God is calling us to do this Christmas is to cultivate intimacy with God. 
Christmas reveals that God is real, God is big, God is knowable, but God is intimate. Let me close with very familiar verses. John chapter 3, verse 16. For God, he so loved the people in the world, us, that he gave as a gift his, his only begotten, only son that whoever will put their faith in him they will not perish but they'll have ever 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 lasting life verse 17 for he came into the world not to condemn the world but that through him they might have life that through him and so Jesus today I know this is so simple and, and a lot of people can just say, I know all that. I know, but God, God, are we living it? Are, are we pursuing it? Are we going after it? And Lord, right now, I just pray that in, in this moment, if there's anyone in this room that hasn't established, solidified their relationship with you, God, I, first of all, let your Holy Spirit convince them that you're real. Holy Spirit, also convince everyone that you're big, you're huge, you're, you're enormous, you're infinite. There's no limitations. But God, I pray that people also will be convinced right now that you are knowable. They can know you because of Jesus the bridge between man and God. And then also, finally, God, that, that you're intimate. You want to build intimacy. So if you're here today and you just have any question whether you put your, your faith in the Lord and accepted Him as the mediator, the, the way to God, Jesus said there's no way to get to the Father except through me, through faith in Jesus. He was the whole plan. Well, let me just, it's not something I normally do, but if you're here today and you have any doubt that you have a relationship with the Lord, or maybe you just need to renew that relationship today. If that's you, just, no one else is looking around, just, just lift your hand up and say, I want to receive today. I want to be sure today. Anyone at all? And Lord, we just thank you that you are the one that, that leads us to you. It says no man can come to you except the Spirit draws them. And the reason that we give opportunity for these moments for people to give their life to the Lord is we believe that the Holy Spirit's working to draw people right now. That is in a greater sense, a greater way than maybe a lot of the other times. It's not about us getting a notch on our belt or not about us saying oh, we got someone. It's about them knowing you. So God, I just pray today that you will lead people to yourself. And then God also for all of us, help 
us focus upon intimacy with you during this Christmas time. In Jesus' name, amen. Let, let me add one thing. If we can just, I'm so appreciative of, there are reasons that some, uh, your heart might wrestle. Um, we have mental barriers sometimes. Like, I'm not good enough. Well, you see, Jesus went to the cross and carried all of our we're not good enough upon himself. And he died in our place to break the power of the concept of us not being good enough. He destroyed that. And now his mercy is available to us. Sometimes people have a, a concept in their mind that I haven't earned it, that I've got to do something more. But Jesus eliminated that idea. And he said, you simply do one thing, and you place your faith in me. They were saying, what do we do to do the works of God? And he said, believe. Paul made it extremely simple. Paul said, if you will confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, that's it. That's it. And when you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, the Holy Spirit enters and brings the love of God to the depth of your heart. And suddenly you are very aware that you belong to somebody who loves you very much. Let's go ahead and everyone, would you say that with me? Just say, just repeat after me. Father God, in the name of Jesus, I believe that Jesus Christ is Lord. And I believe in my heart that Jesus has been raised from the dead. And I open my heart to the love of God right now. Come, Holy Spirit, fill my heart. Now let's praise him. Just praise him right now. Say thank you. If you're not used to that, just say hallelujah. Let's praise him just a minute. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Because the beginning place is so brilliantly articulated by Todd. The beginning place is to know him. Where would I be if I didn't know him? I think that I would be dead by now. I don't think that I would have made it this far. But because of how many of you feel that way, in this world, Jesus is the life-giving person that we were meant to know. Let's go ahead and praise you again. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Let's go ahead and stand together. If there's anyone who wants further prayer ministry, we have, I'll be down here. There's a few others that'll be down here and we will join with you in prayer. I wanna say this, Jesus is the most wonderful savior because he took all of our failures upon his own uh, back and took it to the cross. He's the most wonderful healer 
because he was taken to the whipping post and as he was whipped and the, the Bible says those stripes release the power of healing for us in our hearts and our bodies and against all uh, disease, illness. He's also the one who gives us a power to live. He's the baptizer in the Holy Spirit. He gives us a supernatural power from heaven to help us through the rough things of life. He's so wonderful. And ultimately, everybody, he's coming again. He's coming back. And we're going to learn more about that as Nicole comes, talking about his first coming. Jesus is coming again. He's coming again. He's coming again. Hallelujah. Love on each other. You're dismissed. And uh, if you have further need of prayer, come on up.